the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, here comes the consequence. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless, unless you repent. If you do not repent, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today in the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues with the Future Grace series, an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to Revelation chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. And how you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. Here's a picture of a God who knows and loves his people. Here's a picture of a Savior who cares, who empathizes, who sympathizes. As one who has walked among them, During his earthly public ministry, God walking among men, Emmanuel, God with us, who is tempted in every way such as we are, as it tells us in the book of Hebrews. This is the God who is with them always, even at the end of the age, the ultimate Savior. And he is their great high priest. He is the intercessor between God and men, and he cares about them. And notice that he acknowledges their faithfulness in enduring persecution. He acknowledges... I would say commends their love of truth. They don't like those who are evil. They don't like false prophets, false teachers. They don't have any time for false apostles. He appreciates their moral purity because they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans and we'll get into them later on. There's much to commend and he commends them. He acknowledges and affirms, generally speaking, that they hate what he hates. And that's all good. Here you have an established church, roughly 40 years old, a prominent church that seems to have checked all the right boxes. They have good doctrine, they have good morals, they have good teaching. 
They show discernment. Can you expect much more than that? He lovingly acknowledges that as the one who walks among them, who walks over them, who cares for them, who watches over their leaders. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I hate often, also. He opens their evaluation with a reassuring posture and words of commendation for all that they do right. And then he fails them. Then he gives them a failing grade. The sovereign, holy, loving, righteous building inspector cites them with a violation that would appear to be fatal. They get a red tag, you might say. And that's number three, the citation. Here's what he cites them for. Look at verse four. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Something is fundamentally wrong here, foundationally wrong. What's going on here? What we see here is an ailment common among established churches then and even today. Prominent churches, famous churches, they begin resting on their laurels. They back off. They lose steam. They lose focus. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled on what their first love was. Was it a love for God? Was it a love for each other? Was it a love for the lost? Probably all three. How can we know? We can't be sure exactly what it was. But we know that it was noticeable to him, and it affected the way that they did church, the the, the way that they lived in the community in which they were. How do we know that? Well, because of the context. Look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And here is the icing on the cake here, this moment of clarity. Do the works you did at first. It wasn't just their attitude, it was their actions. You know, we've talked about this before. Right thinking leads to right attitudes, actions, words, and deeds. For individual Christians and for individual Christian churches. So God is saying, go back to where you were when this church was born. And do what you did when you first started out, when you were nothing. So many Christians and churches can learn from this because a lot of time the flame that is lit, ignited in our souls by the Spirit of God, in the people of God, sometimes like when you adjust the gas burner on your stove, it kind of goes from bright to blue and sometimes we go too far in the wrong direction and our love grows cold. And, and so he's saying to them, you haven't finished the race and that, you, you've got more to do and, and you stop doing the very thing that, you, that made you what you were in the first place. Some people call Ephesus the church of the lost love. And I think that's true because love manifests itself in righteous words, actions, and deeds. They were dotting their I's, they were crossing their T's, they had gospel preaching, things were still happening there. All their friends were still there, but they probably had begun like so many churches you see today living in the past. You know the remember when churches that look back to their glory days? You know what? When you're looking back to your glory days, if you're not dead already, you're going to be dead sooner than later. And that's what's kind of going on here. Perhaps they were believing their own press clippings and news releases as rock star churches and rock star pastors sometimes do today. Look what he says. You just can't miss it. Look at verses 4 and 5a, if you want to call it that. But I have this against you 
that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. That's, repentance is a change of heart that brings about a change of mind and direction. Repent and do the works you did at first. But here's the thing we need to understand. We need to understand that the church belongs to God, not us. We don't get, you know, to back off, to step back and take a breather. There's no such thing as retirement in God's economy. <clears throat> and God wants us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. That means it costs us something. Time, treasure, talents, ability, convenience. We're to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Why? Because that's our minimal service to him. And we'll get into more of that later. And Ephesus, for whatever reason, had stopped that. It seems like they might be coasting from the context and what he says there about you need to do the works you used to do. You've stopped doing these things. And and, and then we come to the consequences in verse 5. The consequences. People don't like consequences. Choices have consequences. And that's an inescapable reality in this fallen world. Look what he says to them in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent, and do the works you did at first, if not. Here comes the consequence. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless, unless you repent. If you do not repent, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He basically says, repent or perish. Repent or perish. To this great church, Ephesus, to this church, and you read in the book of Acts all the things that they did, the wonderful things. The people burned all their books that were for sorcery and witchcraft and all this stuff. They endured all this persecution. And he says, you know, you've, got, you've done a lot right, but I have this one thing against you, and if you don't correct it, it's over. It's over. I'll remove your lampstand unless you repent. Now, some people look at this and go, where's the grace? Where's the mercy? This isn't the Jesus that I know. Well, if it ain't, it ought to be. This is him who holds the seven angels in his hand, the seven lampstands. He walks among his people And the grace is in this, that he gives them a chance. You have these spiritually fatty churches with spiritually fatty minds, filled with nice people, Ephesus, I'm sure it was, teaching the gospel, good folks, moral folks, but they've stopped doing what they used to do. You know, there's an old saying that successful people usually stop doing that which made them successful in the first place, and they fail. And this is a picture of this. I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love, the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. You see, judging by his comments, they should have known better. Perhaps they'd become comfortable. You know, we four and no more. All my friends are here, so I'm happy. I'm comfortable. Maybe they had what we used to call an RIP a rest in peace mentality. They are retired in place. You see that with pastors. They get, they're in a place for 40 or 50 years and they think they own the place and they they start backing off. That's That's not what we do as Christians or Christian churches. You see it in churches. They stop doing local outreach. They still support the missionaries far away, but they don't reach out into their community. 
and they begin to bleed out and die over time. They have a we've earned our rest mentality. We've done a lot already. How much more could you expect us to do, Lord? Where's the grace here? Let me share a passage with with you, and it's not in the slides, but it kind of gives you a picture of Jesus' mindset towards those who serve him, those he loved, those he died for, those he suffered untold agonies for on the cross. And this is one of those passages that nobody ever memorizes, seemingly. And it's in Luke 17, uh, verses 7 through 10. Jesus is talking to his disciples and some other people, and he says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather, instead, will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. That is so counterintuitive for the American church today. You know, this is the era of participation ribbons and everybody gets A's and standards are low and tolerance is high. But this is the glorified Christ of chapter 1. This is the the God who receives worship in chapter 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the 24 elders day and night chant before his throne. And this is the God of all churches. And these are his minimal expectations. And so we don't get to back off. We don't get to rest on our laurels. We were raised up for such a time as this. And this is a sobering, sobering sobering passage here because here you have the church of churches and he's like no I'm afraid something's going to have to change and change radically remember therefore from where you have fallen repent and do the works you did at first if not I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place there is the grace and there is the mercy that he gave him another chance that he takes the time to reach out to them to talk to them to address them to affirm them, to commend them, and to challenge them to excel still more, not to give up. Sometimes, you know, we dread things like that. You know, it's, you, you get called to correction. We were talking yesterday about, you know, correcting children, and sometimes you're in a place where you can't correct them, and you say to them, we'll deal with this when we get home. And then they spend the rest of that outing dreading getting home, but in the end it leads to restoration and repentance. And sometimes a little uncomfortable, you know, expending of kinetic energy. This is what's going on here. He is, he loves them. He sees them headed in the wrong direction. He knows the plans that he has for them. And he calls them to account. He shows them the error of their ways after, after acknowledging all the good things that they've done and he also shows them the consequences of their action. And then what happens? When we come to number five, encouragement. Encouragement. Look at verse seven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Listen, he says. This is the listening thing, right? 
Blessed is the one who hears and keeps. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, some translations say overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Look, he's saying as the one who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks among the seven churches that he loves, who say they love him, he says, listen, I know what you're capable of. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil. And you hate what I hate. You hate the the works of the Nicolaitans, the immorality of that. I know what you're capable of. He says, listen, I also know what you stopped doing. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Remember your first love. Remember how it was when you first trusted me and we came together. And then he says, listen to me, repent and turn back to me or I will come and I will remove your lampstand. He says, snap out of it before it's too late. Let him hear what the Spirit says, those who are willing to listen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the one who overcomes, to the one who repents, to the one who stays the course, to the one who bounces back, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. He's talking to Christ followers here. He's not talking to the world. Now, in churches, you have kind of a mixed multitude. But here he's speaking to the people who are his. He's saying, snap out of it. Remember, remember those early days when your faith burned hot and your love for me was real and palpable and do the works you did then. He's saying, finish what we started fight the good fight finish the race keep the faith there is laid up for you the crown of righteousness that I bestow on those whom I love and those who love me and those who rejoice at my appearing to them I will grant to the one who overcomes I will grant to eat of the tree of life he's saying to these churches and he's saying to Ephesus this church among churches you're not done yet You're not done yet. There's so much more for you to do. Don't back off. Press on. I'm sure we've all seen those uh, YouTube videos of the sprinter. He's running toward the tape and he kind of backs off and puts his fist up, you know, in victory and three people pass him. You know, if you like the Winter Olympics, there's a terrible one of an ice skater and a speed skater doing the same thing. He's saying to them and to us by extension as we read these words, don't do that. Press on press on listen to me do what you used to do the way that you used to do it that applies to Ephesus and all these other churches to some extent but that was Ephesus's problem there was a lot right there but what was wrong was fatal and he wants them to get back on course get back on the path so they can hear one day well done good and faithful servants so they can enter into their father's rest And you you look at this and say, well, yeah, this is a letter to seven churches. This is a letter to a church in Ephesus. This is a letter written in 95 AD. I'm living in the 21st century, and I'm not a church. I'm an individual Christian. What's in it for me? Well, this applies just as much to you and I, to me and you as individuals who may be maturing in our faith, who may be further down that faith walk, who, who may have backed off a little bit, who may have lost perspective, who may have said, well, I'm... I'm no worse than the next guy. But this is is a letter from another world, a love letter 
from the one who went to the cross in my place and your place for your sin and my sin and who rose and conquered death, sin, and hell for us and who has prepared a place for us. And he is speaking to us through his word. And the question is, will we listen as individuals and as a church family? So what do we do with this? Let me give you some suggestions for application. Number one, listen to what the Spirit says. Is he talking to you? Uh, He's talking to me. He's talking to us. How do you listen to God? Well, we speak to God in prayer, and he speaks back through his word. Pick up and read. Take the next few weeks and just read Revelation chapter 2 and 3 over and over again. And see if anywhere in there, if the shoe fits, and if it does, wear it. Repent. And while you're doing that, too, examine your heart before the Lord. Do you want what God wants? It's not just good enough to hate what he hates, but we have to love what he loves. We have to do his will, the will of him who sent us, who said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, discipling them, mentoring them, training them to do all that I've commanded. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's raised you and I up for such a time as this to reach the lost, to play offense for the kingdom of God. Are you ready, willing, and able to do that? Examine yourself. And as you look at some of the harsh things that Jesus is going to say to the church and to us through the pages of Scripture, down the corridors of time and history, remember his motive. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. No one's ever loved you, church, like he has. No one's ever loved you and I individually like he has. We've never experienced the love that comes anywhere close to the love of God in Christ. And finally, don't react against what we read today. Respond to it. Repent, change, and grow. God's not done with you or me or this church. We are constantly growing and changing in the process of spiritual growth, which some people call sanctification. And what we see here are God's expectations, and they are non-negotiables. There's, there's no backing off. There's no cutting yourself any slack. Will any of you say who, to a servant, Come in at once and recline at the table, but will he rather not say, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that were commanded, say, we were unworthy servants, we only did what was our duty. We can rest on the other side. We have fields to plow, seeds to sow, crops to water, and harvest. So let's do our duty. Let's listen to him and respond as a church and as individual Christ followers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are hard uh, words to read, hard concepts to uh, receive, Father. But we know it's all good because you are good. We know that your motive is that you love us and you want what is best for us, better than the perfect parent, Lord. You are our perfect God and Savior. Help us, therefore, to listen 
because the time is near. Help us to make the most of the time, Father. Help us to always remember and remind ourselves that you have raised us up for such a time as this and placed us where you placed us to bring glory to you, good to others, and yes, growth to ourselves. Help us, O Father, to excel still more in obedience and worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.